Pokemon is owned by Game Freak, it's owned by Nintendo, Satoshi Tajiri, like all those motherfuckers, no disrespect, motherfucker in a cool sense, like like he's one bad, shut your mouth, I'm just talking about the creators and owners of the Pokemon intellectual property, I can dig it, I do not own Pokemon in any sense other than the fact that I own Pokemon as in like the individual creatures. Here on Silph Radio, we look at a different aspect of the Pokemon universe every episode. This is an adult-themed podcast, not in the sense of, uh, like, it's not, it's not, like, sexy time, but this is not for children. Uh, if children listen to this podcast, there are actually frequencies that can cause them to commit suicide. Also, bad language. So, do not listen to this if you're under the age of, uh, I don't know, whatever. Ask your parents. Today, our guest host, a very, very good friend of mine. I know it's like you haven't heard that one before. Me and this gentleman have had some of the most insightful, enlightening conversations of my relatively short life. It's an honor to have him on this podcast with us. He is a Pokemon fanatic. I almost said a Pinocchio fanatic. Pokemon fanatic, just like I am and just like you are. It would pleasure me greatly if you would welcome to Sylph Radio and your iPod, Mr. Jeremy Davis. Hello. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining us, Jeremy. How's how's everything going? Everything is going great here in the sunny state of burn me alive. I need mercy from God. Bring me just one rain cloud. One. That's Florida. Yes, Florida. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, that's... and I'm I'm up here in New York, freezing my fucking ass off. So we're at. Two opposite ends of the East Coast here, but I'm glad you're doing well down there. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. How's your Pokemon journey coming along? It's going well. I've finally managed to get myself an interesting ghost type. What do you mean? Gen- managed to get myself a Gengar, finally. Oh. I was working on one forever. Wait, Because I wait. must have a Gengar in my settings. You mean every- for X and Y, or? Ah, I don't have X and Y again wait, yet. You've, you've never had I a have- Gengar? I tried. I tried like heck, but I didn't have people to trade with. So you no, me and you have traded numerous times. You've never once had a Gengar. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's bullshit. That's impossible. I know. I know. It seems Phil impossible. never traded with you. Never nope. traded you a hunter. I never traded you a hunter. Nope. That no. That's I know that I saw your Gengar named Jester. Jest. 
Just. No, not on that one. Oh. That one was me playing an older version of the games. Well, last I episode, I actually, I actually named my Gengar. Me and Steve had a uh, battle on Pokemon Stadium, and I named my Gengar Jester Jr. in honor of yours, but I guess it's Jess Jr. I don't know. Oh, no, that's fine. So, yeah, you're a... the obvious thing. It's like he has the little clown caps and, and the psycho scars over his eyes. and Yeah. Your design for him is really sweet, yeah. You're, you've been a big fan of the ghost type for a long time. I know that's your favorite type. Yep. It's ghost and grass, the whole dichotomy, life and death. I never thought about it that way. So that is that is actually the point. That's what it was. It was I have these very polarized views of life, and so each one kind of embodies each of those polarized opinions on how life functions and works, and each of my ideals and, and uh, views. So I've always loved the way that kind of interplays together. Grass is very much about nurturing and intercooperation and long periods of even in even in battle, grass type has a a kind of ideology of using long strings of status effects, which you could consider planting the seeds of a future outcome. Absolutely. Yeah, and then you look at ghost types, and even in their battle strategy, it's all about life-shaving, stealing, so it's very much about desiccation, desecration, decay, uh, fear, and the unknown. So it's, it's always kind of been like that. And so... I love them so much that even in my role-playing journals and my style for how I would do them, it polarized so much that I had to make two identical and yet individual trainers to even out my love for. Yeah, it's interesting. I have two separate kind of trainer identities that I associate with myself. If you remembered, my ghost trainer was actually the doppelganger of my, my grass trainer. So yeah, I don't know if this holds true for all circles of friends, but just about everyone in my core group of friends that plays Pokemon, we have this idea of uh, our character in Pokemon, like our identity in the Pokemon universe, who his or her Pokemon are, and what their personality is, their hometowns, all that. So you have, I mean, in a nutshell, who are your two characters? In a nutshell, one of my trainers was a very chilled out, very relaxed herbal medicine maker who basically only trained Pokemon to try to get better stuff for making herbal medicine. Yeah, I think we were both kind of resentful of the fact that if you gave your Pokemon herbal medicine, the medicine that naturally comes from the fucking earth, then these are wild creatures that, that you trained and formed. Yeah, that they end up hating you for it because they'd rather have the mass-produced shit. Like, And I buy it, okay, in the Pokemon universe, I'm sure everything's not packed with high-fructose corn syrup and trans fats, and you know what I mean? It's probably it, a little it healthier. It kind of but... is. If you look, the Pokemon love it when you give them soda pop. The Pokemon love it when they give you this stuff from a bottle. And if you look, the reason they say that the Pokemon hate you is because it tastes, it tastes bad. bad. But... I think that the Pokemon... I kind of think it is full of high fructose corn syrup. I think it's the same agenda. I it think could we be. Have it could be. I kind of see their, their world as a little more socially responsible than us. Like, they don't completely destroy all their habitats and environments. They, they build cities, but they keep it, you know, they keep it contained. It is what it is. In all and... fairness, if giant monsters that could shove lightning up your ass were, <laughs> were protecting your environment... I think you'd be a little socially responsible about the planet, too. 
But if you did have established cities that the Pokemon didn't feel like taking down every five minutes, you might just decide to use high fructose corn syrup because you don't have to go into the dangerous wild to get it. That's possible. <laughs> I, I, I like to think that they've found a, a healthy, delicious alternative. But I'm still yeah, a little pissed off sure. that Pokemon we'll, get we'll angry. We'll go with if honey. They use combi honey for everything. Yeah, uh, the royal jelly. Yeah, that'll work. Do you know about royal jelly? Like, flash, uh, back to the real the world. specific in-game stuff. No, 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 but... no, no. It's not a Pokemon thing. This is a real world thing. Oh, yes. I know all about royal jelly. The stuff that's actually designed for the queen so she has enough energy to lay her eggs. Yeah, the queen lives for like five years as opposed to like a month or two because they feed her royal jelly and she's the only one allowed to eat it. Yep. So like there's been a big recent health food craze. I mean, recent. I mean, obviously people have been doing it for longer than that, but you know, in contemporary society recent. Yes, where where Westerners finally get their heads out of their butts type, <laughs> type recently. Sounds yeah. about right. <laughs> oh, but all that bitter herbal medicine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bitter, horrible herbal medicine. And then who was the who was the character that was the the yin or the yang to that? Uh, he actually trainer? was. If you if remember, I had this idea for the super ancient Gengar, uh, who was locked away. He was named Mirmagog, and he had planted a kind of seed of uh, darkness inside of uh, my grass trainer that uh, whenever he tried to repress his feelings, his his repressed feelings would manifest in a kind of um, subconscious twin, a doppelganger, much like the original German concept of what a doppelganger was, which was the part of you denied that you tried to kill off by constantly repressing it. It would eventually split off from you and do everything you, you wanted to do but had repressed your whole life. So he was kind of like that, and so that made him kind of a person, but also a ghost at the same time, a unique kind of interplay on what is human. And uh, and I, I have to admit that I did like the idea of human trainers with a bit of power, not just being people with monsters. So I very much enjoyed that concept from uh, the Dark Pokemon fan fiction. By so- A. Sanchez? Yes. Oh, I plan on doing a whole episode about that. I actually sent a few emails to this guy. Never heard back from him. I, I would love to get the guy who wrote that fan fiction on the show. If you're listening or if anybody listening knows how to get a hold of him, let him know or let me know. Like, I would love to set something up. That uh, When we were in high school, that fanfic was a pretty big deal to us. So Amazing. This guy had it in a giant backpack, the whole thing. He must have been doing weight training because that was a lot of paper. It weighed a ton, and this man carried it around. You have not seen Nathan, but he's this very, very tall, statuesque beanpole. <laughs> I can't believe he was able to hold all of that paper without, well, yeah, me like... And, me and John, which uh, the listeners would know as Phil Cobb, the, the guest host of Episode One's older brother, took turns printing out each chapter and we would have to make the font smaller and smaller as the chapters got longer and longer it was huge i still have that folder full of it all and i never got to read the final chapter because it didn't come out until well after i had graduated high school and had lost interest and stopped following and now i would like to reread the ending the ending is amazing i got to read it it's (laughs) awesome all the things that's awesome all things but I loved that. I loved that so much, and I loved the idea behind it and where that 
where that uh, where Pokemon got their powers and how their powers worked and how humans fundamentally bonded with Pokemon. I loved that idea, and I loved that the Pokemon world was a bigger elemental world than what is commonly depicted was a much harder, edgier, more adult look at the Pokemon universe. And I kind of, with, uh, with my Ghost Trainer, put that in there because he's part of that harder, edger, edgier, darker way of looking at, uh, looking at the Pokemon and how they interplay with things. Like, for instance, in uh, one of my recent role-playing things where I use an idea for my, my Ghost Trainer, he uses a Rotom to hack the Pokemon League computers and then fry all the circuits when he gets the, uh, the information that he wants. Nice. He has, it, he has it just possess the computer system, take the stuff, and then short out security cameras, short out the, the mainframe, everything, and just leaves with the building on an electrical fire. There's a lot of parallels there with our characters. My character, his big origin story involved a lot of like messing with the PC system. And um, actually, more recently, developments I've made to my character post-X and Y um involve uh Gengar heavily. So oh. we'll talk about that. We won't waste the listeners' time with that. That requires too much backstory to really get into. But... <laughs> yeah, we if he didn't mention it earlier, which we were just doing it, it I know he did. Yeah, we've all had these big complex uh trainer characters for our own Pokemon journey adventure ideas. He's got some deep stuff going on in his head now. Yeah, it's all up here. Like, we haven't... That's nothing that I've written down in a fanfic, or we, I haven't role-played it, or anything. Uh, Justin, the host of episode three, has drawn a few comics, you know. I may have written one or two little things. But I love his art. In our heads. Oh, yeah, his art's fantastic. So, explain this, this role-playing thing, though, because I think you're the only one of us that does actually go out there and role-play this character, and develop a story that way this is something you do online correct yes i do it online and i do it on a specific website am i allowed to plug it yeah absolutely plug whatever the fuck you want fantastic the place is called gaia online there's much much to do with forum based role playing so it's a bit like a chinese story where one person sets the theme in a further story in their post and then you post the continuation of what your character's actions are, and then they go on and they respond and do it and so forth. And um, you'll you'll often have a role playing host who sets up the bigger overarching story plot and world setting that you all play in. So, for instance, with me, I made a uh, I made a role playing setting that involves the Pokemon world in a different region called the Combine region. And it's a much harder, much edgier, again, region where Pokemon are allowed to fully attack people. The, like uh, trainers Pokemon? Mm-hmm. Trainers Pokemon and wild Pokemon will directly attack you. Well, I always imagined that that's what wild Pokemon were doing in the first place, and that's why you needed Pokemon to leave your town. Yes, and but that's what I mean. Wild Pokemon can attack you, but so can trainers Pokemon. It is allowed. It's a more of a Savage Kingdom setting. Okay. The other thing that always made sense to me is that the starter, the starter Pokemon that you get there is an Eevee. Everyone. Nice. Everyone gets an Eevee, and everyone. This was their uh, trial. In order to qualify for being a trainer, you actually have to go out into the wild without a Pokemon. What happens is they take the uh, ball that has your Eevee and is launched into a random area, <laughs> a random area of this 
of this entire region. And then you have to track it down without Pokemon. You are not licensed. You are not qualified to hold Pokemon until you find your Eevee and rescue it. You're breaking Professor Oak's heart. Good. <laughs> Maybe you'll get less Am I a boy or a girl? Serves you right, you fucking old coot. <laughs> Maybe you'll actually get trainers who care about how valuable it is to have a Pokemon when monsters are trying to eat you alive if you have to fend them off yourself for a little while. <laughs> Finally, I have a Pokemon! They open the ball after just facing down, like... Kangaskhans and Scythers and Garchomps <laughs> and the Eevee comes out and they're like hey, I feel so much safer <laughs> but because of that it's also that you get an intimate awareness of the different Pokemon that, ha that interact in their environment it's also meant to in a subtle way show you what do you really like as far as types and if that's the case, then what do you really want to evolve your Eevee into, if anything at all? So that actually starts the first journey of self-discovery as to what do you really want to be as a trainer? I really think, on a separate but related note, that they should give Eevee a mega evolution. I think that's the solution to never having to give it a normal type evolution. That's its normal type evolution. Give it a mega evolution. I think that'd be dope. See, I'm very not in the whole knowledge of Mega Evolutions yet. I know that I hated the Gengar Mega Evolution. Hated it. I'm not a big fan of the so Gengar one. There are some of them that are really cool and some that are less than stellar. I heard there are people being all fanboy for the whole Charizard thing, but Charizard's like Charizard. always that fanboy Pokemon. Charizards so. are cool. Blastoises, I'm not a fan of. Venusaurs is alright. I hate that all they did was put a flower on his head. Ampharos is dope. Um, I haven't seen the Ampharos one yet. Absol is dope. Man, you are really behind. Absol was beautiful. I got to see the Absol one. It's oh, like a, you're going to love it's it. It's like a Sephiroth Pokemon. You've never if seen Sephiroth it? Sephiroth could have a Pokemon. You've never seen it? it. No, I've seen it. That's the the Mega point. Evolution? No, I did see the Mega oh, Evolution. Oh, okay, like yeah. I said if, Se if Sephiroth could have a Pokemon, Mega Evolved yes. Absol would be it. I thought you were saying you hadn't seen it, and you were saying that about regular Absol. I'm like, oh, you're going to love the Mega Evolution then. <laughs> it's just, it's coming out there. Like, I am a one-winged angel dog. Oh, it's dope. I'm, I win. Look at me. I it, actually, it actually has two wings, though. Really? Yeah, Which that one? original art made it look like it just has one wing, but I'm pretty sure it has two wings. Okay. <laughs> um, are we... I think we might be good to move to Lavender Town. Ah. Not like, <laughs> I think we should move to Lavender Town. Pack your bags. No, I think like, this is off yeah, podcast. Let, let me but... just get my interdimensional transponder and we'll move right but in. No, I mean we... No, I think we're good. All right, so the topic of the day is Lavender Town. It's no secret that I chose Lavender Town because I know you're a big fan of the ghost type. And who better to discuss this pretty little town than you <laughs> and me? Absolutely. Lavender Town so, is actually the hometown of my character, Shaggy, my uh, Pokemon character. But we're not going to get into Shaggy. I, uh, I I can't get enough of talking about him, so I, I plan on doing a whole episode on him one day. But I'd be very interested to hear that one. It's a small town located in northeast Kanto, 
uh, to the east of Saffron City and just south of Rock Tunnel and the power plant. Uh, just south of Lavender Town is the Lengthy Silence Bridge, which is popular for fishing and sleeping if you're a Snorlax. Oh, God, I remember those. So much of the city is, is decked out in like a hue of purple. I kind of like that about Kanto. It reminds me of like Oz. If anybody's read the original L. Frank Baum Oz books, uh, the different geographical regions actually were different colors. Like the plants that grew there were different colors. I think of this more like the citizens of Lavender Town probably plant all sorts of violet and purple plants and foliage. Paint their towns. Absolutely. And Have certain Pokemon scatter toxic over the atmosphere. <laughs> that way there's a purple overcast. Well, hey, that's just due to them being south of the power plant. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that works too. Yes, ionization and all that. Man, the power plant, that's one... Like, there's a lot of... A lot of what I love about the Pokemon universe is just abstract imagery. Not abstract, but not necessarily the story connected with it as just, like, the idea of the, like... Thinking of the fact that, like, there's this legendary bird, Zapdos, that's talked of in their legends and shit, and it's attracted to this power plant that recently, in the last century, I imagine, humans have built there, and it comes to roost there, and, like, and this one trainer ends up showing up. Just the imagery associated with, like, that, like, that majesty and power. I don't know. Am I rambling? Does it make sense? No. No, it does make sense. On top of it, it's very interesting because all throughout the uh, the theme of the Pokemon games has always been this this interplay between the actions of man and the consequences it has on on the world of Pokemon, i.e., nature. Uh, and it also has always had this this deeper level to it, which I don't know how many people have actually noticed, but it shows that which mankind is unaware of. They have many legends. They have many many dispersals of stories and ideas, even with the citizenry in the game, not just like out of the box, not just out of the fourth wall. And you notice how they're actually so totally oblivious as to the nature of their own actions and how they're bringing about these things. And then you notice as you get further and further in the generational divisions of the game, how more and more people are becoming more aware of the interaction between man and nature and what it's doing to affect what's going on in nature. So when you look at the old games where there's such things as Lavender Town, the people are very much lore-knowledged, but they're not very much able to, to put a practical connection between lore and society. And then you would, uh, then you would see that later on, for instance, with um, the one, the one uh, Elite Four champion, the one with the, uh, the black trench coat, fur-lined, uh, Lucario earrings. Oh, uh, Cynthia? Is it yes, Cynthia? I, I love her. She's supposed to be like an archaeologist or a historian or something like that. She's pretty I badass. love her. She's a dragon trainer, right? Uh, no, she's no. like the Elite Four champion. She's she's like this this person. She had, uh, for instance, she used Spiritomb as one of her Pokemon. She used uh, the final evolution of Togepi as one of her Pokemon. She used... Um, Beauty, that beautiful serpent one. Militech. Yes, Melodic. She she starts being that big advocate for Pokemon mythology awareness that that these mythical beings aren't just something that's far removed from us, but are actually very close to us and are much 
are much affected by what we're doing because we're becoming more and more advanced creatures and having a bigger and bigger impact on the world around us, that we're starting to come into direct confrontation with these powerful Pokemon forces, and she's trying to make people more and more aware of that. I so, love for, that. Hmm? I love it. That's awesome. And I feel yeah. like it's it's like that's almost something that's been lost in the progress of the series. Now, I want to preface this with the with the the statement that like. This isn't a criticism of the series. This is actually something that I deeply appreciate about the series. But as the series has developed, like almost as the world itself has undergone character development, there's more of this sense that like, yeah, everybody knows about this stuff. And like a lot of these Pokemon are very widespread. Whereas in the early days, and I think this is a result of the franchise itself not being as well fleshed out but it fits hand in hand with the timeline of the series with saying that this is the way that the culture and society has developed in the years since that first game we played but in those early days there was this much more like pokedexes weren't something that was just handed out to every trainer which is how you usually see it in most official and fan-written stories, you know? Pokedexes were something that you were field-testing and re- doing yeah. the research for. And a you lot were of always the... the tester because, yeah. you were supposed to, because you were supposed to be helping to build this big encyclopedia reference system like, that would eventually be to all trainers. Yeah, right There's now, if you, were, uh, if you were like a 12-year-old character going out to start learning about Pokemon, and you were like, man, I got a Pikachu. I'm trying to get it to evolve to a Raichu, but I just keep battling, and it won't happen. Like, all the other trainers at the school would laugh at you and be like, you idiot, you gotta use a Thunderstone, dumbass. But, like, Red was going out there like, Oak, Oak, I figured it the fuck out. This is how Pikachu evolved. They use this stone. You shove a rock in its face. (laughs) But it won't work anymore. I'm thinking maybe it has to be a certain type of rock. <laughs> Chew, shit. Ah. For some reason, this one with a water droplet on it isn't doing the same thing. <laughs> but uh, back to Lavender Town. Oh, is that what it is about? <laughs> In Japan, it's called Scion Town. And the town motto is, Scion is the color of purple nobility. I would have assumed that Scion was the color of Scion nobility. But, hey... Either way, it's a car company, and you need to deal with its ability to move. <laughs> so the town's major landmark, uh, before it was desecrated, and <clears throat> <clears throat> excuse me, uh, was the Pokemon Tower, an ancient and still used at the beginning of the you know franchise during Red and Blue times, Generation One, uh, gravesite for Pokemon. times, an ancient wonder in the Mythic Age. Uh, Pokemon Tower was a seven-floor Pokemon graveyard, and it's haunted by Ghastlies, Haunters, and Gengar, as well as... And ghosts. And what? And ghosts. Yes, it's rumored to be actually haunted by full-fledged ghosts, not to be confused with ghost-type Pokemon. And Speaking of that, if I might, that actually is not necessarily a rumor. I actually went through the uh, Lavender (laughs) Town challenge, where I had to get the Sylph Scope, and no. you end up you yeah. had the balls too i don't know anybody else i that did. even like went past like the first or second floor i totally did i did the whole thing and i met cubone's mama it's actually no a ghost. way cubone, 
It is Cubone's dead mother. No I way. Said, I said, remember that I am a big advocate for ghost Pokemon, and I played as my ghost trainer in that game. So he went ghost hunting. That is what he did. You went up. You find it. Self-scope reveals that this ghost is the dead ghost of Cubone's mother. Cubone, of course, like this tower is also populated by wild Cubone. And Team Rocket had went there to try to gather Cubone skulls because they're really valuable. Yep. And they tried like fools to get Cubone's mama's skull. Well, well, there's Cubone the species and then when when he's saying cubone's mama he's speaking of who is currently mr fuji's cubone yes a a cubone that was orphaned because uh a marowak tried to stand up against them and they killed it yep that's exactly true and you're telling me that the ghost was just this marowak's ghost haunting it all was was marowak yes was marowak it was cubone's mother and thanks to the company that sponsors this podcast and thanks to yes. their fine thanks to the miracle of poke science, we can see the dead. What would I do without you, Jeremy? See, this is why you're on this episode. I bet <laughs> nobody out there has ever done that. No one out there ever like got any farther than Lavender Town in the Pokemon game. They're like, wait, the Elite Four, back up, back up. You mean like the amount of gym leaders that I've beaten so far? <laughs> I kid you not, though. That was some crazy stuff, and I absolutely loved it, and that is what my deeper thing is, is that's actually, this brings up something that I've been thinking about, is uh, the nature of ghost types, the nature of the afterlife, and the nature of how ghost Pokemon interplay with that. I know you don't like to bring up too much of the animes every once in a while. Well, here, no, no, no. Here on Self Radio... We do. We explore every aspect of the Pokemon mythos. I personally am not a proponent of the anime, but I give it its fair due. In this, I will say this. The early Pokemon episodes, some of them were very good. And one of my favorites are the exploration of Lavender Town. The exploration of the gym leader of of Lavender Town and how Ash finally beats the gym leader. Uh, it doesn't even there beat her at no, all. There is no gym leader of Lavender Town. Uh, You're thinking Lavender. of Sabrina. He goes yes. to Lavender Town in order to, to get, get a haunter Pokemon. to beat Sabrina. Yes, that's the one. Thank you. Haunter is eventually the one who beats her, not even Ash. And I don't even know why that Ponce gets a badge. He shouldn't. Well, it was Ash's Pokemon. It agreed to go along. He never actually captured it. He never actually got it You're in the right. Pokeballs. You're right. His actual registered Pokemon. Fucking Ash. That's what I'm saying. He should never have gotten that badge, but he did because people are just like, ah, you showed us a good time. You got us loaded. You got us beer here. Here's a badge, you know. (laughs) Everyone's always on to this, like, Team Fennekin, Team Froki, Team Chespin, Team Edward, Team Jacob, Team Sam, Team Dean. I'm saying Team Ash, Team Red. Let's get this going. Send us your emails, hit us up on Facebook, and let us know, are you a Team Ash or a Team Red? But I'll say this, is that because of that, right, I've been thinking about this, because when you look at, um, for instance, the uh, the gold and silver animations for things like Spite or Nightmare, there were imps uh, that came out and caused these status effects to uh, 
to the the enemy. They're much more brutal and and much less colorful and attractive. Now you say imps. They were like, what was it like, little faces? Like no, they were fully animated. They had tiny little imp wings. They had grinning faces with large eyes, bellies, clawed feet. And and that's what I mean. I believe that. No the, wait, uh, are you saying the sprites for the Pokemon or for their moves? For their moves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're saying those like a bunch of imps would come out when they do the move. Yeah. I kind of vaguely can remember that. It's been a minute since I played the original original. And that's originals. what I'm saying. I don't think I don't think those imps were what you would call Pokemon. I think they were actually like imps, beings of this this ethereal ghost plane. That uh, that ghost Pokemon could tap into. Really? They so were, you, you think there were I little there were little ghost Pokemon Cybermen? You don't think it was like one of Ghastly's illusions or part of his gaseous form? No, no, no. I don't. Um, I think that ghost Pokemon you would consider them almost like witches or casters. Uh, it's shown and given long established nature that ghosts kind of tap into that whole voodoo witchcraft and mysticism aspect of things for instance when you look at curse look at how curse works for a ghost it's a nail being driven through their bodies um this goes to all sorts of voodoo rituals but if you look at that it shows that they kind of have a dark spell casting nature to them i believe that uh ghost pokemon are beings who naturally inhibit the ghost or inhabit the ghost plane while ghost ghosts end up transubstantiating there from their mortal lives. So I believe that there are ghosts, but I also believe that there are ghost Pokemon, and they are not the same thing. They do not oh, absolutely. each other. That's, that's, that so, much has been implied, like explicitly. I believe that what uh, ghost Pokemon do to enter their powers is to actually do that. I believe that they ritually cast. I believe that... Uh, that there are other forces and other entities beyond our own world, even beyond the conceived mythical planes that the uh, the mythic Pokemon and the legendaries come from. That well, ghost the distortion Pokemon world, the distortion world makes total sense though. Where Giratina's from? Yes, I mean you understand. That, not, if you look at that place, even that place is not the ghost Pokemon realm. It's like the flip side coin of reality. The ghost Pokemon realm, um, the ethereal plane, I guess the dead plane would still have ghost Pokemon. And if you look at the other realm where Giratina is trapped, there are no, there is no life. Up is down, black is white, light is darkness, and nothing exists life in is that death. but Giratina. Not even. Life, the opposite of life is not death. The opposite of life is, uh, is nothingness. And I so, disagree. The opposite of life is death. The opposite of existence is nothingness. Well, what would you consider existence then? <laughs> the opposite See, of nothingness. Okay. <laughs> I can't make we'll it any more like simple or clear than that. But the point is that it's even stated when you meet Giratina that nothing is in that plane except for him, that he's all alone. And um, Fair enough. And, and so when you look at that plane, it's kind of like the other side of the mirror, not exactly the other side of life. So it's a refracted shattered plane that's kind of a an empty hollow mockery of our own okay which is supposed to be part of the reason why giratina is so angry and upset in reality because everybody else has been living it up with each other and the bonds of life and happiness and he's all alone in this place where grass decides that it wants to grow inside out you know <laughs> yeah and 
I mean, it, it's also uh, the tower is like frequented by a bunch of channelers, yes. which spirit medium, spirit mediums, psychics, and they're um, hostile ass motherfuckers. I mean, everyone. Awesome. Some of them were possessed. That was the point. Yeah, the, one one of them is like, I need blood. Like, holy crap! Uh, yeah, and that and that's way different from like the new Pokemon games. They weren't nearly as as scary as that. Well, in These the guys in the original saying, game, blood. In the yeah. original game, the channeler standing next to the healing spot makes a reference to there being white magic about it, and they took that reference out later because I'm sure somebody complained. It's the occult. Yeah, whatever. So you're the science guy. Maybe you can explain this to us. Due to some type of environmental anomaly, I don't totally get it, but it is frequently filled with fog inside Lavender Tower. Like, I feel like Lavender Town also gets foggy a lot, but inside the tower itself, I feel like, is generally more foggy than outdoors. This is actually explained in pseudophysics, but it's also explained by this this very amazing writer. Uh, his name is Terry Pratchett. And oh, he I writes know Terry a, Pratchett. Yes, and he writes a book I'm, series called Discworld. Yes, I know of Discworld. I've never read any of them, but I'm actually finishing a book right now that is co-written by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Do you know who uh, you know no, Neil Gaiman? I, I know who Neil Gaiman is, but I did not know that there was a thing. Yeah, I they wrote a book Pratt, together. It's about the I apocalypse. Is like losing himself to uh, Alzheimer's. This was written a while ago, uh, maybe ah, ninety one okay. or something. Oh, ah, okay. Yeah, it's about the end of the world, the apocalypse. Uh, it's it's amazing, dude. But um, Terry Pratchett has this unique way of using physics in in this whole other theology towards mythology and mysticism magic and and brings it to this strange new eden and plateau and it's great and and where this comes into lavender of lavender town and its fog this is how he depicted the realm of fairies snow nothing but white plain snow and every time you got closer to something, it seemed to go flat. Or actually, no, the further away you were, everything seemed to be flat. And as you got closer to observe, uh, to observe something more, that's when it started becoming 3D, as if it was feeding off of your own perception to feed the fact that this thing was there because it was on the edge of being real and not real. So it had to use your own mental impressions to determine what was real. And snow covered the place, because it was an easy psychological trick to allow for blank space. So you don't think it's actually foggy? You don't think that's actual natural fog? I don't think it's natural fog. I think that it's ethereal bleed-in from wherever the ghost realm is. Okay. I believe that it's there to establish an area of plausible believability so that when things otherworldly or supernatural happen there is place for your mind to psychologically graph to, to allow it to exist in your perceptive filter. Well, in the manga, um, Pokemon Adventures, there are a few different Pokemon mangas, but the main one that, that has followed every video game installment since 
uh, Koga, who is actually evil in the manga, is sort of controlling Pokemon and turning them into these black-eyed zombies with this purple fog that later turns out to be his ghastly. And he even, like, gets Blue and his Charmeleon under his control. But, of course, Red saves them. Obviously. The hero must win. And in the anime, the tower's more depicted as kind of like an abandoned mansion. Not so much a gravesite. Yeah, which I also wasn't appreciative of. But I was appreciative of the fact that Gengar ripped Ash's soul out of his body and went on a magical Wonderland adventure. Yeah, Ash and Pikachu died in that episode. No, no, that's the point. They were on the edge of life and death. And so because of that, Gengar was able to take advantage of that to give him a perspective of what it is to live as ghosts. A chandelier fell on them. Hey, being hit by a chandelier, I didn't see any shards of chandelier glass going through Ash's body. So eventually, though, this tower, you know, an ancient landmark of a settlement that's been there for hundreds of years and a gravesite of Pokemon that have been beloved by other Pokemon and humans alike was eventually converted to a radio tower and the graves moved to a small house of memories, quote unquote. Also okay, called I'm the sorry, Soul House. But what movie does this remind you of? We there he Come on now, people. Don't you learn from pop culture? You don't move the graves. Also, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure the House of Memories is just a repurposed Pokemart. Because once you revisit the town and there's a radio tower, there is no Pokemart. And in its place is where all the graves are now. I, I, would, be, I would be the ghost trainer that just destroys everybody. What? I'd be like... The fuck? I'd be, I, I'd be, I'd be my ghost trainer. I'd be like, do you realize what you've done? Do you, do you have any idea how many things that are dead you just pissed off? Seriously, I can't. What, like, what pisses me off the most about this isn't that it happened, but that the writers and creators treated it like it wasn't no thing. Nobody is like, and now the ghosts are really pissed off. Or, can you believe they did that? They're just like, hey guys, guess what? We got a radio tower. Progress! Yay! Seriously, what the fuck? (laughs) So the House of Memories, which does have a bunch of hidden chambers and somehow fits the hundreds of graves that were in that tower, I'm not buying it, is run by Mr. Fuji. And I can't imagine... Yeah, Mr. Fuji's awesome. I can't imagine he had anything to do with the repurposing of the tower. I'm sure he He fought it. He probably fought like hell not to have it happen because he was all about protecting the dead and honoring them. But that's all the League... Well, do you think it was the League? I totally think it was the League. Like, how much power does the League have? When I look at everything in every game I ever play, it's always the League. I think they're actually the one-world governmental power of Pokemon. I believe that they are the actual governmental power and that they actually control what goes on in policy, economics, everything. Because for the most part, all we have canonical evidence of is that they're in charge of competitive battling. And yet when you look, the police the police force answers to the League. Yes. When you, when you look, the, uh, the military answers to the well, League. There is, though, the International World Police, or whatever they're called. And they're yeah. separate from the league. The, yes. the guys that Looker worked for? Uh, they don't actually state 
who they specifically work for, and they're international, so I guess they're like they're like their own vigilantes that nobody messes with because they never actually say what government they belong to. But if you're talking about that one guy in the trench coat who follows you around everywhere as one of the examples, I believe he actually does at one point, and don't quote me on this, I believe he does say at some point under the authority of the league, I put you under arrest. So... So I think I don't he might... think so because he he wasn't part of the league. He was part of the world police. I don't know. I know. Don't quote either of us on it. Email us. Let us know. Silfradiopodcast at live dot com. Yeah. So I think he does say that at some point with uh when he's helping to investigate Azelf, Mesprit, and and all of them. Although I might be terribly mixing up stuff now, but I believe that he does reference the fact that he has league authority to put people under arrest. Well, so it was probably the league then, but Mr. Fuji, though, I'm sure had nothing to do with it. Like we said, he probably fought it. He's a kind, shy old man, and he takes care of orphaned and abandoned Pokemon at the Lavender Volunteer Pokemon House, which is also his home. What if he's just a horrible, evil mastermind and he murders Pokemon and takes the orphans to sell them on an orphan Pokemon trade? He didn't. No. Never no. going to happen. <laughs> Mr. Fuji's a saint. Although he probably did have a hand in the creation of Mewtwo. That's quite possible. He's not originally from Lavender Town. He's originally from Cinnabar Island. He founded the Pokemon Lab there, and he's a good friend of Blaine, the resident gym leader in Cinnabar. Yes. All the things you don't know about that poor old man. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, back then he was known as Dr. Fuji. Nowadays, he goes by the less formal Mr. Fuji. Yes, slightly less formal. Better call me Mr. No. Uh, a Fuji <laughs> in Japan is a purple flower, otherwise known in English as the Wisteria. Mm-hmm. And in Pokemon Emerald, there's a message left at Faraway Island where a wild Mew can be found. And the message pleads for only a kind-hearted person to ever set foot on the island again. The author's name is Smudged, but in Japanese you can still see G, like the end of Fuji, J-I. So, hmm. Get Somebody has regrets what he did on the Earth, or Poke-Earth. Or, I don't know if, if the Pokemon world is Earth. I have a strong disbelief towards that. It's an alternate version of Earth, I think. There's... One thing that's really weird is that there are places like South America, um, America, because yeah, of else? Lieutenant Surge. He's clearly stated as an American, isn't he? Yes, the Lightning American, and he yes. says that he fought in the war. Yes, and so there was some war, some mysterious war that nothing is ever talked about except with that man well who knows actually actually no spoilers but pokemon x and y has some really heavy shit like as far as historical details of this world that regards a really big war so maybe that's the no that couldn't be the war because it was hundreds of years ago never mind hey maybe this is a huge time stretch no, because I don't want to spoil anything, but no, Lieutenant Surge is not old enough to have been around. Nobody that's around nowadays is old enough to have been around when that war is took place. Is he around? Is he in X and Y? 
Lieutenant Surge? Oh, I see what you're saying. X and Y takes place that far in the future? No, awesome. it doesn't. <laughs> so Lavender Town is also the location of the Kanto Name Raider. And in Gen 1 and Gen 3, which both take place at the same time, whereas Gen 2 and Gen 4 both take place at the same time, uh, in Gen 1 and 3, Lavender Town's population is 41. In Gen 2 and 4, later on, it has declined to 30. It's a pretty small town. Oh, yeah. I think the young people moved out and said, F y'all. So if you're living in or around Lavender Town, what type of indigenous Pokemon are in that area? Um, in Pokemon <laughs> Pinball, you can catch Pidgey, Ekans, Mankey, Growlithe, Magnemite, Ghastly, Cubone, Electabuzz, and Zapdos. The power plant isn't too far away. And in the surrounding geographical area, you can find Pidgey, Pidgeotto, Mankey, Meowth, Ekans, Growlithe, Sandshrew, Vulpix, Abra, Kadabra, Rattata, Raticate, Jigglypuff, Snubble, Hoot Hoot, okay, Noctowl, <laughs> Haunter, Pineco, Combi, Magnemite, Voltorb, Spiro, Firo, Nidoran, Machop, Magikarp, Poliwag, Poliwhirl. Over here, it's the Poke Rap. That's what they thought rapping was back in the day. <laughs> and probably still, the people that wrote that probably still think that's what rapping is. Uh, yeah. Goldeen, Sea King, Krabby, Kingler, Slowpoke, Slowbro, <clears throat> Horsey, Electabuzz. Quagsire, Marowak, Venonat, Venomoth, Tentacool, Tentacruel, Gyarados, Quillfish, Psyduck, Oddish, Gloom, Bellsprout, Weepin' Bell, Farfetch, Spinarak, Ledibaw, Wurmple, Wurmple, and Tangela. Oh, there you go. There you go. It's all complete now. <laughs> and there are some Pokemon from distant regions that migrate there. Uh, they can be attracted by playing your regional music on your radio, or they appear in swarms. Or the poke flute. Those are Plusle, Minin, Shinx, Lanoon, Wismer, Bidoof, Buizel, and Relicanth. Oh, wait, wrong game. So, what on earth is this whole creepypasta thing involving Lavender Town? It's supposed to be some sort of, like, music that drives you to kill your mother or something? <laughs> I don't think there were any reports of children killing their mother. In fact, I don't think there were uh -oh. any reports at all whatsoever. In fact, I know that there were no reports whatsoever, unless you count a 12-year-old making a post on a message board as a official report of an incident. I do, and you know that. Children are infallible, and they always speak the truth. We all know this. It was an established thing in the court system, sir. Yes, yes, yes. So, basically, <laughs> the story goes... Well, I mean, does the listener know what a creepypasta is? The The term comes from the term copy-paste, as in a story that has just been copied and pasted on the internet. And a creepy one is called a creepypasta from copypasta. So, yes. Apparently, there was supposed to be this thing... With Lavender Town and its yes. crazy music. The, the story goes, in February 1996, 
Almost 200 children, ages 7 to 12, committed suicide after hearing the original Lavender Town music on the original Game Boy games. This is real old school stuff, you know. Supposedly, it had binaural beats, which are frequencies that can only be heard by children that were slightly different in each ear, if you're listening to it on headphones. And that would give them intense headaches, nausea, all that, and even erratic behavior. That's if they didn't kill themselves. Or their parents. No. Parents beware the children. So there was, uh, according to this creepypasta, a few different separate cases that were investigated. And I looked at I looked at them, and the names of all the patients were in Japanese letters. So I took the effort of translating this on Google Translate and finding out what their names were. So in these four cases, wherever I'm using a name... It's translated from these Japanese characters that were given in the creepypasta. So on April 12th, 1996, Kyogoku wins women killed himself. Uh, he also suffered from obstructive sleep apnea, severe migraines, autorhagia, and tinnitus. On May 23rd, 1996, fortunately, Chiba is widespread killed him or herself (laughs) and by the way Kyogoku was 11 years old fortunately Chiba is widespread is 12 years old Uh, she also suffered I'm I'm gonna assume that was a girl okay we'll go with this suffered from general irritability insomnia addiction to the video game nosebleeds and developed into violent streaks and it developed into violent streaks against others and eventually herself. Others being her parents. <clears throat> then Momo Hisai killed themselves. I'm going to guess that's a girl. It looks like a feminine name. On April 27th, 1996, she was 11 years old. She also suffered from cluster headaches, irritability, and eventually took mixed painkillers. That was the most believable one so far. It was the most vanilla. Yeah, right. Then, Yoshinaga is true, killed themselves March 4th, 1996. They were age 7, and they also suffered from migraines, sluggish and slow behavior, and unresponsiveness. And that developed into deafness, and then they went missing, and their body was discovered beside the road on April 20th, 1996. So wait, they didn't kill themselves March 4th. What the fuck happened March 4th? Well, I think it's obvious. The ghosts from the game came and possessed him and and did weird stuff to his body. And then finally, they ripped his soul out and took him on a magical adventure, which he never came back from because he was like, my life sucks. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a creepypasta. Um, Supposedly, there's also code left over in the Lavender Tower of the original boss who, instead of the ghost Marowak, you would fight buried alive. Have you seen all this horse shit? No. It looks like, the sprite looks like a poorly rendered version of, like, a Pompeii victim. A person pulling themselves from the ground. Yeah, no. No, that, no. And before you fight buried alive, this exchange occurs. Buried alive says, you're here. I'm trapped. 
And I'm lonely. So very lonely. Won't you join me? And then you battle. This sounds more like a very sad come on than it does a, a creepy thing. And uh, he has two white hands, which are apparently in the data as whitehand.gif, despite the fact that the Game Boy didn't support GIF files and they Ever. weren't invented at that point. So yeah. he has two of those, and that's like this creepy severed zombie demon hand. And a ganger and a muck. A muck? And apparently viewing the animation of the frames of white hand moving after having heard the lavender tone, you know, the binaural beats in the music, yes. it can have further psychological effects on you because science... <laughs> For science, from science, by science. And if you defeat Buried Alive, your game freezes. But if you lose, Buried Alive says, finally, fresh meat. And that's followed by several lines of gibberish. Then it drags you into the ground, and the screen says, game over. And in the background, you see your character being devoured by Buried Alive. Yes! No, dude, the developers of Pokemon totally would have put that in the code of the game. Oh, yeah, you're right. I don't know what I was thinking. And that type of shit can totally make children just commit suicide psychologically. <laughs> Seeing your character eaten alive, my... Dude, they they used words like psychologically. That means science says it happens. Ah, yes, that's true. And science is infallible. <laughs> especially when wielded by the completely infallible human species. <laughs> 12-year-olds on the internet posting anonymously. Again, children, infallible. You know that. Now, you know what my theory is, though? My theory, see, is this is what happens when you replace the Pokemon Tower with a fucking radio tower. What happens is the ghosts take their revenge, and they do it through your fucking music, and they make your children kill themselves. And that's what you get, people. Bring back the tower. Yeah, the Lavender Tone Syndrome is true. It happened. All these kids killed themselves because... And got these ridiculous names. Because you had the audacity to desecrate those graves and move them and I, I don't know what you did with half of them and replace it with a fucking radio tower. See, I think they just put them in mass burials underneath the, the store. They just put them in one big pit. It's fucked up, man. It's fucked up. Yep. Like I said, reminds me of a certain movie. What movie is that? Pet Cemetery? No, Poltergeist. Poltergeist. That was like, I don't know what movie you're talking about. Just because it was Pokemon Cemetery, I was like, eh. Um, um, Poltergeist, Poltergeist is a very famous absolutely classic. The premise was this, is that there was a big developmental co uh, corporation that was building condominiums. Well, they decided to do it over a gigantic Indian sacred burial ground. And they said that they respectfully moved the graves. No, they didn't. They removed some of them into just a big pit. And then the other ones they built right over. Yes. Just right and over the burial grounds. Just bulldoze dead people on top of hills now are serving as the, the foundation for our condominiums. And then we wonder why the children are starting to speak in tongues and, and 
fly through glowing closets. Yes, and and that is a better comparison because Pet Cemetery is about an Indian burial ground that's just past a pet cemetery, and if you bury something dead there, it will come back to life. But Hi. the results aren't always exactly what you wanted, yeah. Yeah, when you bury the pets and when you bury the people eventually, by the way, based off of a Stephen King book, loved it, when they rise up, they're totally evil. <sighs> Super evil. <laughs> that was the best thing ever. Nobody can see it, but over over the Skype window, this this whole time, Jeremy has been consistently throwing his hands in the air like he just don't care. And it's, Indeed. Oh, super evil. He was doing it then. <laughs> this is this has been a great podcast, Jeremy. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me, guys. If you enjoyed this. It's it wouldn't be possible if it weren't for these three sites: Serebi.net, Bulbapedia, and Smogon University. Uh, I get most of the information for most of the episodes of this podcast from that, and obviously, it wouldn't be possible if it weren't for the f- work of the fine fellows at Game Freak and Nintendo. Give it up. It also wouldn't be possible if it weren't for you, Jeremy. Well, thank you, thank you very much. And I'm glad to know that. That the world of Pokemon is saved once again by... Thanks, to Game Freak, Nintendo, and Jeremy Davis. <laughs> do, 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 do. And I'm just like, thanks. <laughs> uh, visit us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Podcast. Give us a like. Follow us. We post all sorts of fucking cool Pokemon art and... You get advanced updates about upcoming episodes. Check out yep. my other podcast, Fairpoint Podcast. It's on iTunes. It's on Facebook. All it's that awesome. shit. Thank you, Jeremy. I'll, I appreciate I'll that. plug it on his own show, Fairpoint. Watch it. Or I'll find you. <laughs> you don't watch it, though. You listen to it. I don't care. Do both. Just watch sit there. Or, watch Just your sit there and watch the fucking the, the, the little time cursor. Just move. Exactly. Because it's fantastic. It deserves your undivided attention. How can you top an episode like this? You can't. So next time, there will be no guest host. I will be doing this shit solo. Jeremy, I hope to have you back on again soon. Absolutely, I'd love it. Talk to you guys next time. Peace. Peace.